and welcome back to the Related to Geeks podcast. We are here again at Tinker's Tavern, and this is a very special episode where we are going to discuss all of the things that DMs loves and hates and all of the things that the players loves and hates. But before <laughs> we do that, we must first do our geek agendas, and I have a lovely six-sider here because we have six people on the podcast tonight. Oh, Levi, this is lovely. You get to start us off. Oh, wonderful. Uh, okay, um, my name is Levi Combs. Um, I run Planet X Games. We do fanzines and modules for fantasy RPGs. Um, what have I been doing lately? Um, I have been binging old monster magazines, actually, um, in preparation for um, a fanzine I want to do for Halloween. Um, I am all in on WandaVision. I don't know if anybody else is watching that, but I am uh, hook, line, and sinker. I'm, I'm a sucker for <laughs> nearly everything geek. So um, yeah, I made a I made a post on Discord that I started WandaVision uh, this weekend, and subsequently I am now caught up with WandaVision. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm just a mark for all things Marvel and Star Wars and comic books and monsters and I mean RPGs and I mean if there's a you know, if there's an atomic death ray or a lightsaber or a plus one sword, or I'm 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 all for it, you know. Well, you'll fit in perfectly with this crowd. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I have a five sider because I'm that kind of geek. Oh, yeah. uh, Will, you're next. Oh hi, uh, my name's Will Hose. I uh, currently run uh, Natural Twenty Leather. Uh, a uh, shop on Etsy where you can get gifts for gamers. Uh, things like bags of holding and, you know, baby mimics that totally aren't mimics. You could just ask them. Uh, <laughs> things like that. Um, let's see, what have I been geeking out about lately? Uh, probably the number one thing has been the Powered by the Apocalypse system. <laughs> um, which is a uh, tabletop RPG system uh, the first, the original game was, uh, what was it called? Apocalypse World, I think. Apocalypse, yeah, Apocalypse World. And uh, the idea was that uh, ever since then, people have been using those basic rules from Apocalypse World and just making their own thing. And uh, the basic rules are just, uh, it's a 2d6 plus a stat roll um, for pretty much the entire system and then uh, in a lot of cases you'll get what they call playbooks and um, right now I'm running Monster of the Week which is a uh, powered by the apocalypse system that uh, is supposed to simulate the feel of like Supernatural or Buffy or Fringe or things like that um, and so each of the playbooks is a trope character from the Monster of the Week stuff. So, like, we have the expert, and we have the chosen. Uh, we've got the professional, who is part of a uh, elite monster hunting team. And what you'll do is you'll get the playbook, and it's two to four pages that shows you absolutely everything that your character can do mechanics-wise, and how to do it. Um... And from then on, it's really just kind of a conversation between the GM and the players. Uh, the GM never rolls a die. Uh, 
and uh, you know the the player will say, okay, well I'm going to attempt to attack Abraham Lincoln's ghost, uh, you know, with this chainsaw, and uh, I'll say, okay, well that sounds like a kick some ass roll, so go ahead and roll plus tough, and then we'll see how it goes. Uh, you, you you had me at Abraham Lincoln's ghost chainsaw. Maybe you enjoyed that. I did a I did a turn on a uh, podcast not too long ago called Thornvale, where I ran a two parter. Uh, I played Honey Heist with them, and uh, they eventually ended up uh, encountering Abraham Lincoln's bee ghost. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yes, yes. He uh, he took over a swarm of bees, and uh, it was. Oddly, it, it fit the uh, situation. So anyway, yeah, um, Apocalypse World and and uh, or powered by the apocalypse and just podcasts in general have been my uh, focus in the last six months or so, and making stuff out of leather. <laughs> he stuff out of leather. Hey, I'm next. Hey. Next, I'm Megan. Um, I am on a bunch of stuff online. Megantopia just look me up um i also co-host written which is a buffy the vampire slayer podcast we'll mention buffy so i got excited i was just like, oh yeah that's a thing i do we just finished season two so very exciting time um it's all earth shattering uh, <laughs> and uh i have since the last time we have recorded together started up my twitch account and have been streaming on twitch playing some video games uh, i hope to do RPGs in the future through Twitch and creative streams and other nonsense. Big variety channel. No real rhyme or reason. Just like everything else I do. And yeah, that's that's been my major geek out lately. I got a new rig. I've been upgrading equipment. And Twitch is a lot of fun. And if you're comfortable with being live and knowing whatever comes out of your mouth is, is there for everyone to behold, I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I've been... Uh visiting on her channel when I can and uh, you know Kylie and Liz will be playing you know uh, it's, a, it's a lot of fun I I haven't got the uh, bandwidth or the rig to play but I enjoy watching as much as I enjoy some TV shows you know so. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dad you're next yeah well I'm writing a book I've got a uh <laughs> I got a composition class and it's all virtual, you know. And so for my coursework, I'm doing this book. It's called Beginning Algorithmic Composition. And in it, I write computer programs that write music. I, I use three different kinds of algorithms. One is deterministic, where it's uh, set by rules, and one uses the uh, probabilities. And then the other one uh, is also deterministic, but it's based on uh, prime number theory, generates ry rhythms using prime number theory. So that's all the geek I got. That's as geeky as I get. <laughs> I am far too dumb to understand. <laughs> <laughs> so I will smile. All right, Carl, you have to one-up Dad. You have to be geekier than Dad. <laughs> Um, okay. Uh, Carl is a number. So. <laughs> oh, I guess my geek agenda right now would be um, miniature painting. So my 
kids uh, uh, and I and uh, our whole family, we took a day off from electronics recently, uh, <laughs> which is, you know, just the worst. But uh, <laughs> we decided to decompress a bit from our electronic addiction, which was weird to do because, like, I was, like, reaching for my phone in my pocket that was not there. Like, oh, I wonder what's going on in the world. And I, I just just had a muscle memory. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> what's happening? I have to know. Uh, I don't know. It's a terrible feeling to realize how dependent you are on that little rectangle in your pocket to tell you stuff. Um, that of no consequence to me. Didn't matter. Um, but. During that day of, of non-electronics, uh, we painted tons and tons of miniatures, and including a um, set of Dwarven Forge caverns that we all worked on together. And it's a really cool uh, uh, experience to get to share the hobby with them without the distraction of Fortnite or YouTube or whatever. I get it. <laughs> I haven't been painting uh, yet. I got some paints for Christmas and stuff, but uh, um, I, ha I did get set up to take pictures of the ones I've already painted, so I, <laughs> that's a step in the right direction. Despite my best efforts over many years, I am the worst miniature painter um, that has ever walked the face of the earth. <laughs> I have zero skill, and I've tried and tried, but uh, you know, I thought eventually it'll 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 come back. You know, it'll, I'll I'll get some some measure of skill at it, but um, it has never taken, um, despite my best efforts. Yeah, I'm not good at it at all, but it passes the time. It's another hobby. <laughs> my experience with miniature painting basically is determining the easiest and laziest way to make them look decent. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the army men approach in my case. Just dipping green or something. <laughs> Give them some green primer and then put them on the table. There you go. Yeah. Alright, so we're going to open up for our main topic, which is just going to be a free-for-all. Uh, what DMs love, what DMs hate, what players love, and what players hate. Uh, we're going to open it up for conversation. Whoever wants to chime in first, um, y'all can battle it out. <laughs> Go. <laughs> and we're, we're doing what, uh, what, what Dungeon Masters like? Yeah. Sure. That's the first, that, that's the first part? Go for it. Yeah. It's, oh. <laughs> not, it's, it's all available. One big amorphous plot, but enter, enter oh right gosh, in at the okay. beginning. Um, what Dungeon Masters like? That's a good one. I love it when a player really surprises me. <laughs> like, good or bad. I mean, is it, you know, if, if the, uh, you know, the surprise is, oh, by the way, we've completely destroyed your, your huge encounter that you spent, you know, hours setting up. If you do it in a clever <laughs> way, I mean, bravo, you know, just, I love it. Yeah, those are actually some of my favorite moments is when stuff like mm -hmm. that happens because it's so memorable. Um, you know, and it's, it, and that, that's what people end up remembering over the, yeah. you know, 20 years from now when they, when they, oh man, you remember when we were in the, I don't know, with the, the um, temple of whatever, and, you know, and we ran across that iron golem and you did this and it caused this to happen and it fell down the stairs and then we 
decapitated it with a vorpal sword, or you know, whatever. Um, you know, when they come up with something clever like that, um, that throws the DM for a loop. Man, that that's I, that's where I want to. That's where I want to live. That's where I want to yeah. exist. That's my favorite stuff. Yeah, I think you definitely uh, uh, nailed the the whole situation when you said the temple of whatever. It doesn't matter where the temple is. It doesn't matter what the whatever is. It's the moment. <laughs> no, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> that's all just window dressing. Yeah, um, exactly. You remember the moments, and I think that's a universal, not necessarily just DMs or players, but just a, a, a universal thing. Um, uh, but yeah, I agree. When the when the things are surprising, that's when I'm invested as a dungeon master because I want to be surprised. I really don't think of the dungeon master as a storyteller, so I I want to be told the story by the players just as much as I'm telling them the story. We're all in it oh, together totally. on that part. I really like it when the players uh, when they help build the story, you know, because so many times you sit down at a table um, whether or not you're, you know, you, you know the folks you're sitting down with or you're at a con and it's everybody's new or, you know, or it's just a new group. Um, it, you know, and you're being kind of led along, not, you know, so much you know, plot hammered or anything like that, but you're, you know, you know, it's hey, you go to the tavern, you do this, you get the map from the mysterious stranger, you go to the dungeon, you get to level three, you beat the bad guy, you grab the treasure, and you, you know, all that stuff's great. It has it has its place, but um, I really like when you know the the players themselves are invested in the story, and then they help you kind of build it as you go along. You know, maybe you didn't have. Um, you know all the particulars or all the you know the exact definitions of everything you know plotted out maybe whether or not it was a, a aesthetic choice or it was you know just something that you know you just didn't have time to prepare but then they come along and they kind of tell the story with you so that things get built along the way i find that those are some of, for for me that's some of my you know are end up being some of the most memorable games for me as as a dm mm-hmm. well and we'll say as a player is I do never do not want to be railroaded at all by the DM. I want to feel like I have freedom to make some decisions and go in a different direction and and to feel like it is my story that, that I'm contributing to and not just the story that I'm being told. Oh, 100%. Well, one of the things I really like as a DM is when um, everyone at the table is coming up with stuff they want to do it, it may not be a, a direction they want to go but just well i'm looking over here i'm checking this out you know what i'm saying and and when and everybody's got stuff they want to do besides combat you know when you're in combat it kind of turns into a turn-based game but uh um but it's too often that you sit at the table you got and every party develops a leader you know and you got to have that you know but if it's just the DM and the leader, and then the other guys roll dice during combat, that's not that's not right to me. I want to have the the whole table absorbed in the activity. They don't have to be as yeah. far as driving the narrative, but just you know driving that scene. You know, hey, just in general for adventure design, I think it's important that if if you have a module or you have a just a, a scenario, whatever. There needs to be something for everyone to do, you know. Um, 
if if you have just a, a module that's just all monsters and you know bad guys and you know you the fighters and the wizards and the clerics are having a great time but man that that thief he's just kind of hanging out over there to the side wondering what to do <laughs> you know or the or, or bard or you know or druid or you know whatever um you know there there has to be something for everybody to do so you know right. I, I like those adventures that have a little bit of you know a little, a little bit of a puzzles and and traps a little bit of the the magic stuff a little bit of the combat a lot of the role playing uh, right. you know site based location uh, exploration as a player if i'm bored Bad things start happening. I mean, just like the worst. You know, I'll just wander off and like start kicking at levers or whatever. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll usually come back with new friends that don't like anybody. And uh, you know, that's that's on the good day. Hi, Sarah. Hello. <laughs> Made it. Good. Liz <laughs> is hopping on as well. <laughs> Oh, great. This has been uh, a regular on our Monday nights lately, so. Yeah. Because we only do, we only do related to Geeks podcasts occasionally. <laughs> I, was, I was distracted by something she was doing. Sorry about that. <laughs> oh, well, we enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know what it, it was, but it was funny. <laughs> um, do we want to wait for Liz to hop on before we continue, or do we want to just keep going? No, just I don't keep know how going. long she's going to be. No, just, just keep away. going. Just roll, keep roll going. With just roll with it. We're rolling. Way. The cameras are on. <laughs> the money. show never we've, stops. We've been really agreeable uh, so far. <laughs> I think uh, uh, one of the things that happens... Uh, that players like and that has to be mediated by the dungeon master is players like being center stage they like the attention to be on them and that's not a universal but it's pretty close to a universal and so uh, that's where you get those situations that uh, dad was talking about where one player is making all the decisions and everybody else is kind of rolling dice so it's it becomes the the job of the DM then to kind of like shift focus and and try to let other stuff happen or um, entice the other players into the action. Um, Everyone and, deserves to be awesome. And you know I say that, but I, I want to relay an experience I had at a convention once where I um, was running a, a some old school BX D and D. And uh, I had a player at the table who was just kind of on their phone and kind of distracted. And I kind of tried to engage and I kind of uh, assumed they were having a bad time just from body language or whatever. And uh, then uh, they said, great game. Thank you so much. And they friended me on Facebook and I saw that they were posting about my game the entire time. Live posting. Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, you just got to realize that there's personality types and some people really are there to, to roll the dice and, and, you know, play the, play the fighter with a sword and, and make those really kind of decisions to go along with the group. And they have a great time doing it. And, um, you know, I just think it's, worth mentioning that after I gave my diatribe about how to include everyone. 
Well, and I was going to say, on the player side, I really appreciate a DM who recognizes my play style and tries to accommodate it within the, the rule set that they're working with. Because I am one of those that does not like to roll dice and tries to avoid it at all costs. And, <laughs> you know, sometimes I've sit down with DMs and it doesn't, you know, it's just the game itself that we're playing or the way that they like to play is very dice heavy. Um, and I like to puzzle things out. I like to, to be creative with the ways that I do things. And so... I like, I like when we can get into a game where everybody's strengths are recognized and everybody's play style um, meshes. And a lot of that comes with just getting the right group together, but also some of that falls to the DM, and a good DM can really make a game work for me. And if they, they aren't willing to meet me at least halfway, then it's upsetting at the end of the play session. Yeah, I what, also... Sorry. Oh, go on. Oh, okay. Well, one thing. I also want to throw out. <laughs> I also. No. Um, I also want to say I really love player player interactions. Like, I love the opportunity to role play with another player versus just role playing through the DM the entire time. And I love when those opportunities become available in the game. As a player, uh, I like it when other players adopt a persona or take a creative effort with their player character. Um, and Megan does that all the time. And then, um, but the best has uh, I've ever played is Adam doing that religious thing he did where he adopted whatever <laughs> religion came along. I mean, he was so wholehearted about it; it was great. <laughs> but I, you know, I like I like it when the other players are creative. You know. Uh, it's not all on the DM, you know. Mm -hmm. So I have I have an Adam story about because you know I don't think a character he played a kinder in our long <laughs> our long long campaign that we played for like years, and um, we all smoked at the time, and <laughs> he would like steal lighters <laughs> from the table <laughs> one by one <laughs> until he would have everybody's lighter and we could no longer find a lighter to light our cigarettes. <laughs> <laughs> That's he the was method RPing. Yeah, like you know, we'd be like, I don't know where my letter is. Can I borrow yours? And be like, Yeah, sure. And then you know, one by one, they would just disappear. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Carl was in that game. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's like a very kinda thing to do. Pearl did not smoke. <laughs> I lied when I said we all smoked, but probably seventy-five percent of the people in that room were cigarette smokers. And we're glad you quit, Sarah. <laughs> Out of you, I'm glad I did too. <laughs> hey, Liz, are you with us? Yep, I'm here. Hi. What 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 do players like? <laughs> Being put on the that's, spot. <laughs> that's the question. 
the or what is or like? or what do uh, uh, game masters like? <laughs> or how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Where? Were either of you warned that this is the least professional podcast that has ever existed? <laughs> no, I'm a fan. I just want to say really quickly that like role playing, I love the idea of role playing. I am oftentimes not, I feel awkward doing it. I am not great at storytelling. Actually, I am the worst at storytelling. Ask literally everyone at this chat. <laughs> that is incorrect. <laughs> I have met worst people at storytelling. But, uh, uh, I, I can promise you that you are not the worst. <laughs> I think we've all we've all been been there. <laughs> I am there literally every time I try to tell a story. I think there is one story I have gotten to the point where I can tell it and it not be awful. <laughs> I've been running a lot of games on Discord uh, without the video camera, and um, it's interesting to see how much more comfortable that can make people role playing. Yeah, you know, yeah, people adopt, you know, suddenly adopt accents and and all this stuff, and yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. The same, that's the same thing as well, Will. Um, when running games online, uh, you know, if, if half the people have their cameras turned off, it's you know, it's usually for a reason. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, whenever I, think... I try to adopt an accent, I just forget the accent the next time I have to speak. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> I, I'm currently reading Lord of the Rings to Connor, my son, and uh, uh, I'm trying to do all the voices, so I have to switch from like Gandalf to Gimli to Aragorn to Legolas while they're all having conversations. And I, I have a... um. A phrase I have to say to get Gandalf's voice right. Sometimes, like I, I lose his voice, I have to say "Bilbo Baggins," <laughs> and then I can get it back. <laughs> once in a while, yep. so once in a while, Connor's like, "Bilbo's there." I was like, "No, no, I just I got you the thing." <laughs> that was a low C kid. It's okay. Yeah, I mean that beats uh, that, that beats Gandalf going uh, lion face, mm, lemon face. Mm. <laughs> I'm currently running a pirates game, uh, the uh, adventure arc for Pathfinder called Skull and Shackles, which is just pure, you know, over the top pirates of the Caribbean. Let's just do this. Wonderful. And uh, I've got like four pirate accents, and <laughs> I cycle through them basically. And four my pirate like, accents. <laughs> They're like, wasn't he talking differently? I'm like, dude, <laughs> bear shark just killed a, a mermaid. I mean, just get over it. You know, this is not where we balk. <laughs> I mean, look in, in my book, man. If you, if you have more than one pirate accent, you're doing really, really well. <laughs> to have four, I mean, that's you're like the Daniel Day Lewis of role playing. <laughs> I don't do accents <laughs> at all. Don't. My Thursday Friday Just game, not. I'm running an Artificer Warforged. And, uh, you know, everyone's expecting, oh, yes, well, he's supposed to be big and serious and stuff. He's got this huge, broad, 
Georgia accent, and uh, he's also a uh, conspiracy theorist dealing with the uh, you know, and stuff like that. And, and they just it, it's a lot of fun. We we have good times with our accents. Those those are the only ones I can do is that one and the pirates. And that's it. <laughs> now I want to hear now I want to hear a Georgia pirate. <laughs> It's it's like this. It goes like this. It goes, howdy, yar. I can do a pretty convincing Arkansas accent, but I have to try it. (laughs) It's time to walk the plank. Oh, no. Sorry. I I don't accent. (laughs) Y'all gonna walk that plank? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who don't like to do accents should be validated because I've I've literally like been in a panel about how to uh, run games and and advice and tips where people literally thought voice acting was part of the game and required oh, yeah. to play yeah. and you got to work against that a little bit and say role playing is about making decisions the role you are playing would make it's not about how good an actor you are mm-hmm. uh the thing that separates these types of games from other <laughs> games is that you might choose the wrong action on purpose because that's the character you're playing totally. and that's an interesting component of the game way more interesting than being able to do funny voices yeah. oh 100 percent. yeah but I, I enjoy games that I, people are doing accents in, and I enjoy games that people don't do accents in. And yep, it's it's absolutely. more about the yeah. But it's not something I try because I'm just not good at it. And that's, <laughs> I do inflection, you know, like I change my voice by mm-hmm. inflection. Sure, sure. But if you've got a handle, you mean your dad a total robot? I'd love to hear it. You know, even if your voice is almost identical, I'd love to be able to get to the point where I could tell. Oh well, that isn't Sarah. That's her character speaking, you know. <laughs> that's that's another kind of a golden moment to me. Mm. Yeah, yeah, even even if the even if the voice doesn't change, you're still yeah. in character or not, you know. Yeah. I change volume, I change I mean I will. Like if I'm doing something with a southern accent, like I might put on a little bit more of a southern accent because as it turns out, I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, I can't do a British accent, so that's not happening. Oh, well, anytime I do, an, like, different voices, it's none of its accents. It's all just funny, squeaky voices or real low yeah. voices like this. This is yeah. how I talk right now with this real low and thought-out <laughs> monotone. <laughs> Yeah, and players love that when the DM talks real slow. I know what you need to do, Megan. What do I need to do? Keep on forgetting your accent you did the previous time you played. So you need to find some system of a chance thing in it, and you just change your shape, change your form every single session. There you go. (laughs) There there you are. There you go. So for the the folks who do do a lot of DMing, how, how important is world building to you? Um, because I, I find that like I, I'm I'm so those all those old TSR modules and it just all, all the way through the current stuff I get so invested in it. I love reading them 
Um, but I so rarely get a chance to play them because usually when I play, everybody's playing their own kind of um, uh, kind of homebrewed stuff. But how, so, how invested do you get into 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 building your own world and then you know sharing that world with your players? Well, um, so I started writing modules, and then that brought me into DMing because. I wanted to run the modules, you know, and nobody else wanted to run them, you know. They, so, uh, no, I don't have a, a audience for it or anything. And um, and so I invested in a locale more than a world, but I, but it's kind of world building in a way. And I got this sure. no, no, this little town where this little town where you um, got different adventures that happen, you know. And then the modules are all set up and um, and goals. Set up you know, and, and goals, yeah. And when I say world building, I don't mean on any kind of like it doesn't have to be on a grand scale. I mean it can be if that's your if that's what you're into, but it yeah. can be just as small as just having a, like a, a town or a region. It doesn't have to be you know the the Greyhawk box set. It could be just Hamlet. You know what I mean? It could be just, it could be simple or it could be on, on a grand scale. And since I find that that's what that's one of the things I really love about you know being a DM is 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 doing all that. I'm just curious as to how much the rest of you, like how important and how much that plays into your love of DMing. So I haven't done much in the way of DMing before. I went to, I saw Dabab and I love in worlds and stuff. I love lore building. I love world building. I love that stuff. And on the flip side of that, I would be actually scaled to one something that is an established world like for Gain Realms or anything else like that with people who might know the world better than me. Because if it's just like a module and it has a lot of low-building in it, that is great. Just a random module with a bunch of stuff. You can kind of just fake it if you want to. But like, I would be horrified I would just run into that player who knows like everything about whatever world you're wanting it in. <laughs> you mean geeks play games? <laughs> yeah, I would be kind of running into a geek. That's fine. You're terrifying. It's like, fine to run into I love, I love, I love um, lore building. I love lore building. I don't really want to try to run a game in an established world that everybody knows. Because mm. it, it would feel realer to me just faking it. If I got confused or something, you know, anywhere. Yeah, I, I, I kind of ran into that, uh, that thought process when I for a while I was thinking about running a Middle Earth game. Uh but I felt like there's no way to keep the flavor of Middle Earth without going off trajectory and it's just becoming kind of D D milieu. Um but I think in general world building is something that is a fun thought exercise that doesn't really matter as much to probably the majority of your players uh you know the decisions they get to make in the moment is is really what they're there for they really want to make meaningful decisions and while the lore can help with immersion uh you know i don't know how much any of them will actually pay attention to it right that's a great point yeah so the system i want to run which is musing qua classics so the world building in it is basically like this is post-apocalyptic, and there was some great civilization. What was the great civilization? What was the apocalypse? Eh! It actually specifically <laughs> states, like, in the book, is this Earth? Is this not Earth? That's whatever. That's for you to decide. 
That's not for us to decide. Right. Any post. The very, very basis for your prayers and for you to decide everything else. Yeah, that can evoke a sense of place too, because you, you look at, uh, you know, uh, any of these post-apocalyptic films, like the Book of Eli or or even Mad Max. It's like, do they mention the apocalypse? Well, yeah, they point out that it happened. Do they go into detail? Yeah, probably not. Mostly they're just looking to survive. And, uh, you know, you set out an adventuring party into a big dusty wasteland and say, yeah, the world ended. Here's a dragon. They're going to care a whole lot more about the dragon. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also think on the player side, there's something very organic about learning about the world and kind of world building within the game itself. And I also like the aspect of the players themselves kind of each having their own worldview. So there's not like a locked down, this is the lore, this is the way this world works. It's more, this is what you know about the world and how it works. And then something might come up later that completely flips that on its head. And I like that, uh, you know, surprise factor that could come up. And I like the idea of me playing a character that views the world differently than somebody else in my party views the world. Mm Mm-hmm. I think what players are looking for most of all over like um, the cogency of your world building is the consistency of your uh, choices. So once you've said something out loud, now it's a part of this world that we're exploring together. And once you start shifting those around, then your players might have a problem with that. And they're like, well, but in the other town, this is what happened. And these were the guards. And why is it different here? Is it a different kingdom? So I think um, whether or not you have all of that pre-planned, I don't think that matters too much to players. But I think having it pre-planned can improve those uh, uh, situations where you do have consistency. But I do think consistency of action does matter to your player. Yeah, I, I welcome the opportunities brought on by me screwing up sometimes, though. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> somebody says, "Well, that didn't. That's not how it worked in the last, you know, six towns that we went to." And I'm like, "Well, that's because this place is built on a foundation <laughs> of quadronium, and gravity doesn't work here." So. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have something to add to the the whole world building thing, which is I look for opportunities for my players to help me build the world now. Most of the time, I'm doing one shots, so there's not much of a world to be built. <laughs> but, but you know, I, I like that input. And you know, if they're looking for something, then they're going to be excited about it if it's there. Um, I I run a lot of sandbox games, though. Uh, that's been yeah. my new convention I, games, mostly. Yeah, I, I think that's a must. I, I, honestly, I think that that what you just said that's that's a must. Um, 100 percent. The uh, apocalypse world systems that I was talking about, uh, in a lot of cases in that whole group, um, they have a specific section in the book at the beginning that says, okay, now everybody's going to sit down. We're all going to talk about, you know, what ended the world? What do we remember? How long ago was it? You know, or whatever, because they view building the world as very much a team sport. And, and I, I appreciate that because at that point you all have some idea of what to expect and if something is weird or breaks the rules 
then that's a wonderful little mystery. And that can yeah. kind of excite everybody. Well, and oft- I think often um, what, whatever it was that ended the, in, those, in these apocalyptic scenarios, whatever it is that, uh, that ended the world in the first place, that's the often I, I find like the least interesting thing about the about the story or the setting or the you know like the walking dead the, the to me the, the least interesting thing are the zombies you know like um you know this it's the interactions between the factions and the humans and the decisions and the, you know all, all the different stuff that's that's what makes it compelling the zombies are just window dressing you know and i think it's that way with a, with a, mm-hmm. with a lot of apocalyptic stuff mad max too or um uh what was it uh, cormac mccarthy's the road they never even oh, yeah. tell you they never tell you what, what what happened. It was just you know just something happened, and the book is still super compelling. Yeah, the postman was like that too. Sorry, I may have gone off on a on a on a, a rant. <laughs> Sorry. In my in my village in my village building at Milligan, um, I also um, build um, non-player characters, and they have functions in the village, and they have personalities and. And they become real to me as a DM, and that makes it much easier for me to use the non-player characters when I'm running a game, because they're fleshed out to me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that players like more than any type of history or plot device or or guild or political system or whatever. You know, they don't care if you call them florins or crowns or gold pieces. But if you have interesting people for them to interact with, that invests them more in your world than mm-hmm. anything else. Oh, so much, yeah. Well, and coming from the the literary viewpoint, you know, you can be a character-driven reader or a plot-driven reader, or you could be reading for the world-building or stuff like that. But I feel like when it comes to RPGs, it's it really needs to be a character driven thing um to make mm-hmm. sense as you know you're the 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 thing that's the smallest and easiest thing for you to control as the player is your character and you can maybe make input puts on you know the direction that the plot goes or you can have maybe a chance from the dm to uh add something to the greater lore of the world but what you have the most direct control over is your own character. And so you are invested in your character story, and it's a character-driven story at that point. Yep. I, I, absolutely. Yep. <laughs> 100%, 100% agree. That's the deal. I think RPGs in general are best at emulating serialized media uh, and really short-form serialized media, like girls that were pretty popular in the 60s and 70s and comic books that kind of like join us next time for the next grand adventure uh, you mm-hmm. know th- there there's a there's a flow to the rpg that uh really works better for that kind of narrative and those kinds of narratives are typically about the characters it's what is batman doing it's what is flash gordon up to um, and uh, the characters are what bring you back to serialized media, and it's what brings you back to the RPG table. I think for long-form games, I agree. I, I think for shorter games, I don't know, like like one-shot games. Um, well, right, yeah. You know, I mean, half the time it's just appreciation of the system or trying something mm-hmm. that you, you know haven't tried before. Well, that begs the question: Do you do you guys prefer 
one-shot games or, or games that run for just a couple of scenarios and then it's over? Or do you prefer that long, uh, drawn-out campaign? Which yes. one do you find more satisfying? Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I would split pretty 50-50. The reason I like both of them, I like the longer-form games because that allows you to do those longer character-driven stories and really invest in a character and in the world and what's going on. But I love one-shots because I can just pick something that's totally out of my comfort zone and just go for it, and I'm only stuck with it for a single yep. play session and, and just enjoy it. Yeah. 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 So I can just enjoy it in the moment and and play a character that I may not want to commit to long term, but want to experiment. Yeah. And so I'm pretty 50-50 myself. I love that are geared toward long term, and I like games that are geared toward just one shots. Like Honey Heist is a good example, or uh, Crash Pandas by the same guy, where you're uh, all all the players are playing a raccoon, and together you're driving a car in a high stakes, high speed uh, road race. And, <laughs> Love it <you> already. Know, <laughs> yeah, and so everybody makes their move at the exact same time without consulting with each other because you're a bunch of raccoons. <laughs> and, you know, the, the chaos that ensues is just fantastic, but you don't want to, you know, you're not going to make a campaign out of it. You're just going to have a good time one evening. Nice. <laughs> I was going to say, I really want to do combine the two and do a series of one-shots that people can keep playing the same characters with. Oh, sure. Or they can change out. Um, and that, I mean, the system I run, which is Dungeon Crawl Classics, that works because you've got the funnels and you can just intersperse a funnel here or there and give people new characters to play or bring out and then just run. You know, you're not stuck with a level so much. If you run a level 3 adventure, there's no reason why they can't have henchmen that are, you know, your level 1s and 2s or can't have one more powerful character with them. That's what I'm hoping to do. I have not made it happen yet, but I like the idea of trying to, to do both together. I am um, almost exclusively a one-shot DM right now. So, I was going to say, that is how I want to do it, to have the ability for somebody to really work on a character if they want to, but it also gives them the ability to not have to be there every week, or to not have to, or every other week, however I decide to do it, or not have to play a character they're not enjoying, and have to, I mean, not that you have to, I mean, you, I've ditched characters in D&D that I wasn't enjoying. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying you can't do that in D&D, but it, it's, when it's part of the game, it's it's more fun. Hopefully, I don't know. That's the way the uh, Milligan adventures are set up. They're a series of one-offs, but they're in the same locale and with some of the same NPCs popping in from game to game. And um, and so you can just play one of the one-offs or you can do them more like one after another and keep the same characters if you wish. Uh -huh. Yeah, I like I that I don't know too. how well it works, but I like the idea. <laughs> yeah. I think if if the uh, the long form RPG is the serialized content, then the one shot needs to be the the high octane action movie. And so there's a difference in the way I run one shots versus campaigns. But I do find that when I run campaigns, I'm more tempted to take control of the story, which is not something I really want to do. 
but knowing that we have to be back next week or the next time we play uh, kind of puts me in the mind frame of, of pacing and, and what happens next and where do they need to end up for this session so next session can make sense. And, you know, should I be more gentle-handed and spare a character? And with one-shots, it's just everything happens as it may happen and uh, you know people die and i hand them a new character and we keep going and um in some ways i've come to prefer one shots because of that nature of like well whatever happens happens and we're playing the game and seeing what we're figuring out together Mm. Well, no, I think because character, because people are normally playing that character for one session, uh, it's it's amazing to see what players will come up with to do that they would never do with a long term character. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's fun in the in the realm of one shot. Yeah. And that's a cool. it's, it goes it's back a to palate cleanser. You know, for me, oh. a, a, a one shot is a great opportunity to be really ridiculous or to like run that horror <laughs> yeah. game that I've been considering you know or whatever and then go back to the serialized stuff uh over <laughs> <laughs> well sarah it goes back to what you were saying about um yeah, what you were saying a minute ago it goes back to you know creating those exciting and memorable moments that um you know players are going to be talking about for you know for years and years to come because you know <clears throat> they're you know that they're not tethered by Maybe their um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Their uh, affection for this character that they, 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 you know mm-hmm. they're they're playing a little bit more loosey goosey, you know. So they'll they're willing to take those uh, those chances and those those shots that maybe you know they're this character they they brought up from first level, you know, they've been carefully nurturing to you know along a established storyline, um, you know that character maybe they're not so so willing to you know just you know jump off the cliff onto the hill giant's back and. You know, ride it like a horse into the 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 you know the lava stream. You know, you just never know. You know, like what, what's going to happen. But in, in those one shots, you can really cut loose. You know, you, like, yeah. like Will saying, it's a palate cleanser, man. You can just, you know, all all bets are off. You know, and I think that's another thing that, that DCC um, that you were mentioning earlier. That that's one of the geniuses of that uh, genius uh, parts of that system. In that. Um, you know the, the the way that the the rules are formulated, it it really does um, it really does cater to that style of play, that one uh, or, or two session game. Um, you know, especially with the spell burn and you know all all the all the, all the other yeah. I um, mean, you know, I, I would love to explore spell burn in a in a punishing way, like you know you're not spell burning everything and then going home and you know forgetting that you ever played that character that's one of the reasons why i like the idea of doing some more campaign play is because i think there's some there'd be some more much more interesting choices for the players in a campaign game but we have fun with people spell burning down to three and oh yeah <laughs> you know, yeah but you know you know if you're if you're not if you don't have to uh, play that character next week and, and pay for it you know uh, you right, know, my character. Exactly. Yeah, my half of my character's body is paralyzed now, or uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> I've, right, suddenly you know, I've, that, I've that got goat legs. You know, <laughs> is going to have to be very nurtured and cared for, or they're not going to survive. And and that the that's the things I would love to explore in the system that I haven't really had a chance to do yet. I mean, it's a the, you know DCC in general is uh, you know whether or not people love it or hate it or whatever. I think it's a genius system because it it, it takes the best of several different versions of the game we all love and when you play it it's 
it really does feel like it's like like it's 1979 again. Like you know, you're you're playing for the first time because um, you, you, you don't know. You know, it's 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 not like you don't you don't have a familiarity with the monster manual. You don't know what all the spells do. You don't know what's going to happen. Something might completely go off the rails, and you have no control over it. And it, it feels like those those first you know a couple years of, of of playing where you're really getting your um, your feet wet in the game. I think sometimes players Correct. like it when things go south. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think you can just win every battle and have it be an oh, interesting totally. game. Yeah. Oh, I had a I had a game at um, Gen Con, the, the, the one Gen Con I went to, and, I mean, everybody at the table was rooting for a TPK because that just looked like that was going to be the obvious <laughs> thing that happened. <laughs> 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 they didn't manage it. They came out with, uh, with the, one of the most brilliant um, solutions to a problem I've ever seen in my life. Um, and they just, I, I don't even know where they pulled it from. <laughs> and they ended up mostly surviving after this, like, you know, it was like one of those things where they're like, can we do this? And I was like, yes, give me a second. <laughs> Let me make this work because that's real. <laughs> yeah, I think DMs like rewarding um, uh, clever solutions or funny plot twists, whatever. If the player comes yeah, up absolutely. with something, that you know works i think the dm loves going with it you know what mm-hmm. i'm saying well some of the exciting memorable ones we were talking about um have for me have always almost always come out because of something going horribly wrong you know um mm-hmm. or you know a a villain pulling you know pulling a uh one you know out, out of his back pocket or you know some sort of catastrophic failure on the, on the players' parts, uh, they're often intertwined. I think. Well, and um, something I want to talk about on the on the side of the players and, and disliking things. Um, I like it when a DM is going to be flexible on the way that you can solve certain problems, because sometimes a DM might have a solution in mind that they think is real obvious but the party just doesn't click or doesn't understand the the context of of the the actual situation that's going on that would give them the the obvious solution and so they get creative and sometimes they do something that's way more convoluted and and stupid um but you gotta allow your party to roll with that and i i like the idea of a dm being flexible in that sense and allowing their party to do either, you know, just the, the dumb thing or the thing that's going to get them the TPK and they don't even know it. You know, I mean, there's there's got to be some flexibility in what the party can decide. And if you're going to incorporate puzzles in your game, you've got to have it situated in such a way that your players have more than one option for getting through that puzzle. Because if there's yeah. only one option, the party's not going to know. Like it, it's just inevitable. The party's not going to know the, the, the solution because that's how it always works. Thousand percent. <laughs> As a player, that's like the number one annoyance for me is the GM's being coy and shutting down all of the creative ideas. You know, and eventually, because they have one solution in mind, and eventually I get to the point where I just unplug from the game. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm 
Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to sit back there and be like, okay, well, if you guys need me to throw dice, let me know. I'll be over here on my phone. That's that's how I, I get with the adversarial DM. You know, the, the DM mm -hmm. was like, it's me and you guys, oh. you know. That's, I, that's such a just such a weird position to take because you're the game you're the dm you know? like you have all the power already like like you you're telling you're you know you're, you're defining the, the the world for us to interact in like you know you, you need something else yeah you know, uh, if it was truly a versus game you could win every time easily <laughs> yeah. It, yeah like yeah, in like I, two seconds i 100 percent root for my players every time sure <laughs> that's no, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I do think it's think. good for the DM to use good battle strategy and good tactics, you know, and uh, oh yeah, go for it. And just like um, uh, uh, player characters develop a battle strategy, the DM should fight back with a battle strategy. The the idea isn't to make it easy on them, or you know. No, I'm talking more about the DM who's like, you know, he's sitting there with his arms crossed and he's like, <laughs> it's me against you and this is how it's going to go. Because mm -hmm. you think those guys don't exist, but man, let me tell you, yeah, they oh, exist. they're out there. Oh, I've know? been and, so lucky that I haven't really had to encounter that. In a, I mean, in it, a, it, honestly, it know. was not that long ago that I ran across one and I, I, I kind of just, I, I don't want to say shut down, but I just kind of got real quiet and just it became less of the game me just watching him you know was, i was kind of people watching him the whole the whole game I was, <laughs> yeah. I was still kind of like half there rolling dice but i was like what is going on with this guy like he is you know he's, <laughs> I, it's so, so much so that he was telling other players how you know what they should do with their characters please <laughs> you know yeah i think some of that is the acting and i i don't it's always the case but i think there are some dungeon masters who kind of play the adversary on purpose to try to like show investment but i also think this exists a little bit where people kind of talk about oh i killed 14 players in my game and i think while that doesn't that. make sense on paper i do think some of that is saying consequences matter in my game like mm -hmm. I, I you you can't say my players going to have agency i killed 14 of them <laughs> because you know they keep running into the the problem headlong and weren't cautious or whatever so i i think there's a mixture where it's a indiscernible sweet spot that's different for every player because uh you know i've heard people i i got to sit in on a game with um tim cask at gary con and he was doing this game where it was called the wheel of blame and we all wrote down ideas and we kind of just um he put him in a hat and draw him out and that's the encounter uh and it was kind of just a fun casual game where he had just switched to that from a really hardcore dungeon crawl where everybody died all the time and you know um he decided to switch to that because he more, a lot more people enjoyed that style of game well i probably would have enjoyed the hardcore dungeon crawl where i die a little bit more than the game where um it's sort of a, a improv olympics um it wasn't a bad game or anything it's just you know that's just more my play style um and i think there are dms that sort of tried to play the villain even though mentally it's a show but there's also dms who are just bad dms who are mean <laughs> Yeah, breach. 
<laughs> I always tell people it's collaborative storytelling. Yeah. Yes. You know. Yeah. And push and pull. No collaboration, then why are you there? I think the DM shouldn't think of themselves as a good guy or a bad guy that they should be impartial because they yeah. are all of the characters outside of the party and some of them will be allies and some of them will be enemies and some of them will appear to be allies but turn out to be traitors and you know some of them could be villains that come around to your side and you've got to be flexible on all of those accounts and really make the, the players understand that there's no obvious you know truth to any of the the npc characters um and that because of that i think that that makes that more engaging for the players like if the evil wizard at the top of the tower turns out to actually be um imprisoned up there because he was trying to do good magic to heal the land that's a much more compelling story and you know if you're really working towards a a set idea of I am the villain and I am going to face you down you may not even think to do something like that the DM whereas that might be a way more engaging story and might lead the party to make some decisions um, that make them feel more like that they've done something wrong and that's compelling as well I like the idea of playing a character that thinks that they're doing something that's good for the world and then finding out because I didn't take enough time to get to know what was really going on with all of the NPC characters um, which is redundant, I know but anyway um, that uh, <laughs> I've done, I've made a mistake, like I've made some I've done something that my character wouldn't have done because I didn't have enough knowledge uh, so like really the DM should be incredibly impartial to everything to provide the most opportunities for the party to figure out who they agree with when it comes to the characters are beyond just the player characters. Yeah. Totally agree. But if I'm sitting down with a DM that's of the black and white, I'm I'm gonna be the bad guys and you're the party and I'm gonna control all the things that are trying to kill you, then then I'm just gonna try to kill everything that the DM throws at me and not look at any other options. Yeah. <laughs> That's another time when I get bored and bad things happen. <laughs> yeah, well, what I will other say that there is a learning curve to GMing too, though. So oh, yeah. um, if you're if you know you're playing with a new GM, expect <laughs> that some of this stuff is going to happen, and encourage them. And um, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I made huge mistakes when I first started running games, and I probably still make mistakes. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, I I definitely. Did things that I would not do today um, because I was green. <laughs> That's the best way to describe it. And so sometimes it just requires some time. So if you feel like you've got a GM that's having some of these issues that we're talking about, it's it's possible that they're still finding their feet. And also just know that everybody has a different play style. And so if you find a DM that isn't meshing with your play style. That just may not be a like any either of y'all's fault. Y'all may just have different play styles, and that DM may be somebody else's ideal DM. That that's the game that they want to play, just like Carl was talking about earlier with the different types of games that were being ran. Yeah, the role the R O L L versus R O L E is always going to be a thing. I think. I mean, mm -hmm. 
some people just prefer one type of game over the other, and that's but that that's not what I'm talking about in that situation. But that does happen for sure. One thing I do as a DM, which I really appreciate when other DMs do this, is I give a little preamble that explains my style and what I expect of the players. And I really like when I sit at a table at a convention and the dungeon master says, hey, look, this is how I run the game. This is what I'm uh, doing and what I'm expecting and how we're going to do this. And having that little preamble just kind of lets people know what page I'm on, what page I expect them to be on, and we get to go from there. Yeah. Yeah, I wish more DMs everybody. did that. <laughs> yeah, I don't run everything rules as written, and I kind of let people know that, too. I mean, it's like, you know, there there are certain things that I do my own way and not the way the DCC book says to do things. Um, and I, I do want my players to know that because, number one, if, especially in a convention game, this might be the first time they're playing DCC. And if I do mm-hmm. something different, I want them to know that that's not necessarily the game. What other kind of... Uh, we've talked about the adversarial... DM and the um, um, you know the DM who can be a, a little bit um, uh, not not so much adversarial but just uh, nonchalantly combative. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but what other sorts of, uh, of DMs maybe get under your skin a little bit? Well, Rody, um, <laughs> I have this story and you are going to play this story. Cool, got it. That's yeah. ick. Yeah, yeah, that plot hammer. Oof. There is a, a large percentage of current um, uh, Dungeons and Dragons players, particularly 5e players, where the way the game is played is you go through the dungeons and you explore stuff and you kill everything you see. You know, and I mean, it's it's not even like, I mean, the players who like to play that way got to have DMs who like to DM that way. And it's like probably 30 or 40 <laughs> percent. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's all it is is crawling around and finding things to kill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and to go off of what Liz said about uh, a DM that kind of, you know, tells the story and you're forced down the story without having any agency yourself, I think there's also a balance um, to having the world feel like. It's bigger than just your character, and Carl talked a little bit about, like, you know, everybody wants to be in the spotlight earlier in the podcast, but also, like, you've gotta, you've gotta make, in my mind, you've gotta make this kind of feel like a living, breathing world, and so some of the NPCs need to have agency to move the story along, whether you're gonna do it or not, mm-hmm. um, and you don't want your party to just be floundering. Um, so you, it's a it's a balance that a DM needs to find when it comes to what can I do to guide the party in the right direction that isn't just pushing them, you know? Guiding in the right direction is different than saying there's only one direction. Yeah. Plus it's more part of the, you know, the, I don't want to say skill, but part of the uh, job of being a dungeon master comes in, you know, you've, if if you know if you have a plan that they're going to go to the um, the ruins and they're going to do A B C D, that's the kind of the the, the way that you think it's going to go, and then they just go completely off and they're no, nope, we're going to go do this instead. You got to be able to, to just you know um, free wheel and, and and figure it out. You know, <laughs> well, and I feel like especially when it comes to one shots, um, that. 
occasionally I've been in a game where I feel like the the DM should have more agency in moving the story along. Because a lot of times in one shots, you're at conventions, you have a set amount of time before the game has to end. You've got to do stuff to kind of make it feel like they've had at least somewhat of a, a climax in the story that's being told. Um, and there's been a lot of times where I've sat down for a four-hour game and we're going in on three hours and we've done nothing. <laughs> like, we've just been meandering about. And so finally, like, if the DM isn't going to take control, then I just just like, all right, so uh, end game's here, I go there. And that's like, I mean, I've done that in several play sessions of one-shots at conventions because I know there's a ticking clock and I want to see what the end game is. Yeah, that does happen. Um, I, I, you know, when it comes to conventions, though, I find a lot of times that, that players... Uh, they really are more um, sympathetic in the fact that hey, we know that we only have this four to six hour mm -hmm. block, and that you know yeah. we we understand we're not we're not going to go to it. At least the, the the players who you know who are not terrible, <laughs> they, they understand right. that you yeah. Got, well, you know, <laughs> we've got a block of time. Here. With a, Let's do it. With with a convention game, oftentimes people are running preset adventures, and people will realize that that's what they're signing up for, and they expect that. Yeah, more sure. railroady kind of thing because you yeah. know not only did you pay for this adventure that's in the description, but six other people at the table paid for this. Well, there's that too. Yeah, and, yeah. But I was so, saying, I've, yeah. I've. This is my advice to DMs who are running convention games: is to is to do that, is to railroad it a little bit more than you would traditionally be told to railroad something, because I've been in several games where I felt like that wasn't happening, and I felt like the game needed that direction to, to get to the, the story that was being told. Um, but I would also say that I think that there's different reasons why people play convention games. A lot of people play convention games so they can try out a different system or to, you know, check out you know, a world or something that they haven't seen yet or to just experience a DM that they haven't played with before um, and they don't necessarily care about the story of that particular adventure. I'm always in it for the story. <laughs> I want the yeah. story. <laughs> so if the DM is uh, wants the party to go east and come to a haunted house and the party decides to go west, well, they can wander around to the west and have different adventures and then, whoa, there's the haunted house. The players don't know, you know. Yeah. True. They don't have the map, you know. Just change the map. One of the DMing styles that, um, that I don't particularly care for is when the, um, is when the DM... Uh, kind of shows his hand too early. They like they kind they kind of show the what's kind of what's behind the curtain. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. That they, they do the great and powerful Oz thing, all of it up front. So you kind of all the kind of the, the the mystery or the the what if or the, the that unknown factor that kind of that kind of propels uh, certain types of players forward. When that when that's gone, it, it, I don't know. It just robs something out of it for yeah. me. <laughs> well, and I have unintentionally railroaded a story as a player before because we sat down for a game of dread at a free rpg day and we had a four hour block of time and i played a character who was very much like all right what's the next objective i'm gonna go do that objective that was just the type of character that i was playing it was just like very much we're not wasting time we're going and doing what's the next thing that we have to do and i kind of forced the party forward a lot of times because that's what my character was and we you know, played through that adventure in like an hour and a half, and we had a four-hour block of time. <laughs> <laughs> then the DM should be able to go from there. <laughs> yeah, what's next, you know? Yeah. yeah. 
then you get well, to go I'm off the map. To feel sick. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm gonna go. Uh, Be like, oh, you thought you were gonna go that way, but it turns out right. it's blocked, and now you have to go this way, where there is three times as many dangers because <laughs> you are going too fast. <laughs> yeah, fires are good there too. That's interesting. Well, we're kind of picking on on DMs. Um, I'm sorry, picking on players. Um, they deserve it. <laughs> we really are the but, worst. But uh, <laughs> I mean, what is it? Uh, what is it that DMs hate? You know, like we haven't really talked much about that. I think the worst feeling as a DM is when you've set the scene, you've described the room, you've talked about the noises and the monsters and the dripping walls and everything, and you go, "Well, what do you do?" And nobody even has a clue. <laughs> nobody even has a thought about what to do next. And it makes you feel like you've done something wrong in setting the stakes or setting the scene. Um, it's, a, it's a rough one. Man, you are speaking the truth on that. <laughs> that is always so fun. <laughs> So I have a pet peeve, and that is the person with the quietest speaking voice always sits the furthest away from the DM. It's <laughs> 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 just a rule, I think. They're like, I know I'm quiet, so I'm going to have to... I mean, I think we can all agree on like bully players and tyrant DMs and... Um, you know, games that leave certain types of uh, players out, you know, they, they exclude them. We've, you know, we've talked a little bit about that. Um, my, I think my <laughs> pet peeve, but but I get it. Um, now, when I say this, some of you might be like, what? But <laughs> but uh, my pet peeve is read aloud text. Like when you're mm -hmm. in a module and they have that little block of read aloud text. Now, I totally get it. The fact that, you know, not everybody is, is going to be as loosey-goosey or as storytelling. Uh, they're not, they're not going to have the, that ability or that want to do the storytelling portion. They need that read aloud text, but there's something about it um, that I just I, I've never liked. Um, I've used it when I when I when I've had to, um, but you know ever ever since uh, ever since that that first Ravenloft <laughs> module, man, I'm <laughs> I'm just not a uh, not liked it at all. I I agree. I actually um, really don't even want a story to come with the module i want a module to be an environment i want the module to tell me what is where and who knows who and how well you know it should tell me like what the player the non-player characters are capable of or or you know what, what their desires are but it should tell me in scene three of day two this happens i i am against that kind of module writing i would much rather prefer it to just be an environment and then the story comes from the play yes yes absolutely i think it's also helpful if there's a goal or a set of goals possible goals that someone could expect of the players or you know rescue the princess or get the treasure or find the spell book whatever it is um, but uh, that that that's what's motivating the player characters is reaching a goal or solving the the module, so to speak. I don't know much about this because I've mostly just read DCC funnels, and DCC funnels are designed to be fairly railroady and killy. 
because you're trying to get to the objective of everybody having one or two characters left alive. So, it doesn't tend to have huge drawn-out story arcs or even necessarily a bunch of... Like, sometimes there are different outcomes, but they, they tend to be fairly well in nature because they serve such a specific purpose. I, I find myself enjoying Sandbox Adventures. I find myself writing Sandbox, sandbox Adventures more than anything else um, and, and having a greater enjoyment in writing them. I was just thinking, and I'm sure this exists, but I was just thinking a, a good, like, one-shot setup for an adventure where you could possibly get quite a few play sessions out of a single adventure is to have what is essentially side quests to the adventure, which is like... You're in this town, there's a town square and a message board of the the needed quests. Um, and it's just, you go and pick what you want to do. You go and read the board and you're just like, okay, well, this person on the outskirts says that their crops have been uh, being destroyed at night or stolen from at night. So that's a quest that we could go do. Or this uh, place over here says that they, this crossing is no longer safe and they can't travel to this area anymore so that's a quest we could do and it's just a whole bunch of little side quests that you would see in like video game RPGs but have it be an actual module that you can play I want to see that Q read something like that one time when he was telling me about it sounds possible I was going to say um, going back to the the blocks of text in in the modules and reading them one thing that I found that I do sometimes that helps me paraphrase because I do feel like it comes out more natural is I have started um, when I'm running a module, I have index cards and I just write bullet points of like a few words. Like if there's a word in there that I really like, um, I'll write that word down because I want to use that word because that is the the description that the mm-hmm. module writer wrote that I think really fits. But a lot of times I'll just write down three or four key points of that encounter and then I that gives me enough that I don't have to read the box but it gives me those four words that I can remind myself because when you're in the middle of an adventure sometimes it's really hard to remember and you don't want to sit there and read the text blocks and then paraphrase yeah because <laughs> that, that's probably worse <laughs> but um <laughs> I'm gonna read this silently to myself and then I'm gonna tell you <laughs> so yeah I mean that's something that I that was a tool that I discovered early mm. on that just kind of helps me you know, give me those That's key a great points. Idea. And, yeah, yeah. Oh, so, I was gonna say that the opening, the funnel in hubris. Um, one of the words that Mike Evans uses is miasma, miasma. And I was like, I love that word for what the, he's describing here. So, like, that's a word that I put down on there is miasma. <laughs> it was so funny because the first time I ran that, my husband was in the game and he goes, he goes, that's the word that's used in the module, isn't it? <laughs> like, he knew that that wasn't my word. <laughs> that's not how I would describe it. <laughs> Every module is a vocabulary adventure. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. Right. <laughs> um. <laughs> um, I don't have really much of any experience DMing, but I feel like something that would be a useful tool for me when it comes to like those text blocks is using them as little bits of information that you can feed to your players, like those bullet points type things that Sarah was talking about. But you might even be able to do things with it where 
if it's just like flavor text to set up the quest or whatnot um, that you just read out loud. Um, have it be where you have sections of that discovered by the players and give the players that role to read that out loud. Where you have like a scrap of paper that they've discovered that has part of the lore of the story or part of the mission of the story. I love when DMs have props and it's not always necessary, but anytime a DM can give you something physical to play with, um, that's something as a, as a player I absolutely adore. And I think that that could be a pretty simple way to blend that in. With As it turns out, I love including props in my games when I'm doing in-person games because that's a thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that's something we hadn't really gotten into of the different styles of, of D. I've done like everything's imaginary and you know nothing nothing is physical and i've done the this is the full dungeon setup and this is where your character is and this is where the enemy is um and i have definitely enjoyed both play styles but i tend to lean lean more heavily towards the um mostly imaginary with just some almost like uh life-sized props that you would actually like you would imagine your character interacting with like getting handed a map that's actually like the map of the uh, realm that your character is holding and looking at, that kind of yeah, stuff. And that's the oh kind God, of thing I, like I love that. Um, like uh, there's a there's a funnel, um, Brandolyn Red. I don't know if you've done that one, Megan, with me or not, but I know Liz has done it. There's a point where somebody finds a letter, so I have the letter typed out and I hand it to the player who finds the letter if they find it. Um, but <laughs> say they're not necessarily going to find it, but if mm -hmm. they find it, I've got it. I've got it there, and you know that's a, that's a prop I can hand to them. Um, there's another. Um, there's a tournament funnel, which I've only run it as a funnel, but there's it's at a carnival, and there's a prize cabinet, and I have set up a um, just a little card pocket with all of the prizes in it. So if somebody gets the prize cabinet, I hand them this. Um, it's like a four up like magic book you know that i can hand them and it has all the prizes in it and they can choose their prize and then they get the description of what it does when they pick their prize amazing um, just, i love and it and people love that i mean like they, they yeah. just get to, to look through this book and like i really want to do like an actual prize cabinet with actual <laughs> things and figure out a way to carry that to <laughs> to conventions and in a, in a form that's not going to be huge um because yeah, it's quite there, there's there's several uh really good adventures that have props built into them um that uh mask of nyarlu thotep from uh call of cthulhu that uh, that has a, a ton of props that come with it um but then uh, dcc has the one what is it uh watchers the one that watches from below the where, from uh, below i have not read that one i own it i think but i don't think i've read it yeah you will it, it to, you know to make to just kind of uh, to uh to kind of boil it down to its to its core, that you, you can get you can be cursed and you can get this condition where you can't uh, you can't speak to other players and you can only communicate with them through eye movement. Oh, I love so that. There's like a little, yeah. So there's like yeah. a little uh, a little thing that you can uh, that, that the players wear on their <laughs> wear on their faces and they can only communicate with their eyes um, <laughs> at, at times. I know, think not, I have seen cool. that. Yeah, it's kind of cool. Um, but as as far as like. Um, uh, props go. I'm I'm a huge proponent of that. I wish I had more time to make them. Um, yeah. 
the last time that I I don't I don't know if if, if any of you are uh, follow the the Planet X page or not, but I a couple of days ago I posted some Call of Cthulhu props that I um, that I made several years ago um, when I was living in Alaska, and a, like a life sized Fiji mermaid and this huge uh, storyboard with all these uh, photos and maps and I commented on that where you you shared it in the um, in Tim's group. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> that is. <laughs> Yeah, it, I didn't it, see that. It was a lot. Like it, it was, it was a, it was a like a six foot by um, six foot piece of like particle board, you know, with all this stuff on there. And I aged everything. It and I had little, I, I had little bottles, creatures. <laughs> I, I said I had a life size Fiji mermaid, you know, that was like this descendant from the old ones, and it was, um, you know, like you could pick it up and hold it, and it was heavy, and it, you know, had claws and you know scales and a fishtail <laughs> and little shark teeth, and you know. Yeah, it was something else. It's ridiculous, but I, I appreciate that kind of stuff when I when I run across it on you know and rarely so, but when I run across it I, I really appreciate that. Um so, so my I, background, I, uh, I I have a theater degree and I worked in props for a few years, so that's why I, I think oh, sweet. I I really enjoy <laughs> I enjoy that aspect of it because I don't work in theater anymore and I don't do that. But it was always I mean, I enjoyed it obviously. So yeah, I I love watching what other people do too, and getting ideas from that. You know, Al- Alex Kammer had a um, had an adventure called Sea King's Malice, and it came with you could you know you could buy it at different tiers on Kickstarter. But one of the tiers you could buy, you got you got these cool props uh, from this co- company cool. called Be- Beetle and Grim, and they had uh, like it was like these beautiful canvas maps, you know, the sea charts, and there was wow. a spyglass and. There's all this really, really cool That's stuff. That's so cool. <laughs> you can see, so yeah, neat. yeah, yeah. I, I, I saw the props at uh, at North Texas, and I was I was like, what? Did you make all this, man? Like, did you bring this here? He's like, oh, no, no, this is like a tear on the Kickstarter. But I was just floored, man. Some of this stuff was that's, really, really cool. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That is above and beyond. No, I like that idea. I mean, I, again, I wish I had time to, to, to implement that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's... You know, we're all professional adults. We we just don't. Children. I'm not. I, I try my hardest not to be a professional. No, adult. nobody. Yeah, no, but, but you know, nobody. No, nobody has time to spend you know eight hours a day. Work, you know, working yeah. on all that kind of stuff anymore. But um, <laughs> you know, it's, when you yeah. do see it, it's it's so it's so cool. Yeah, and it's very appreciated. And that's the thing is like, I when I see that kind of stuff, I'm just like, man, that took the extra effort to do that um right and it even translates on something like discord like make like even if you're just taking the time to go and find um some graphics to post while you're playing the game like this is this is what you're facing and show a picture of the monster you know this is the room that you're in and show a little section of the map or whatever you have just having those extra elements to kind of give your players something a little bit more to work with than just the the uh, descriptions that you're giving them can can help a lot. Um, I like both ways of playing it. Like I've played a lot of games where you don't really have any visual aids and have really enjoyed it. But the times that you do have uh, visual aids, I also really appreciate that extra effort that the DMs have taken. Well, those um, maps and pictures and stuff. I- with the module they're called assets and when you're writing a sandbox 
you got to have a lot more assets than when you're writing the railroad. You know, mm-hmm. that's just, you know. Uh, and a lot of those assets that you spend a lot of time making uh, may never get played. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, because if it's a sandbox, they they got to be stuff everywhere. So there's a there's a, one of the module companies, third party for DCC. They do a bunch of, um, they do maps that are easy. I, I like running those because I can cut out portions of the map and just introduce the different areas as people enter it. So... Um, they make that real easy, and I really appreciate that as a judge, a, a company that does that. It just makes that that easy. And I'm not a map, and, I mean, I'm not a map and miniatures person, but if somebody's going to make it easy for me to stick a map out there instead of me mm-hmm. my scribbles that I normally do, um, I'm all for it. Because <laughs> I am definitely one that just scribbles yeah. on paper and like, here, this is kind of where you're at. It's not to scale. <laughs> I, well, I, I think players like maps and DMs like maps, too. I think they help. Yeah. Well, and if you just want to make me the happiest player, give me something that's kind of ambiguous, that's not super clear, and that way, like, part of the fun is guessing what you're supposed to be getting from this map, what you're supposed to, what the the riddle may be, whatever it, the the thing that you're interacting with. I want it to be as loosey-goosey as possible while still giving you some guidance. And I love, like, when you've got, say, a a map of the area, and there's just, like, kind of a, a blob somewhere that's not real distinct. You're not sure if it's supposed to represent something, if it's just somebody got sloppy when they were drawing the map and, like, dipped their thumb in the ink and smudged it. You know, you just... you. you it's that curiosity in me that wants to go and see something that isn't entirely certain. So, the reason why I should never write modules is if I wrote modules, I could promise you that at least in one of them, there would be an incorrect map that you hand the players. <laughs> this, you know, adventurer went to the cave and he did his best job mapping out and he did as much as he could and he just got it wrong. <laughs> mm-hmm. That sounds like a reason you should write modules. That sounds yeah. awesome. I like that kind of stuff. <laughs> if you're looking for perfection, we're in the wrong spot here. <laughs> the dungeon master is an unreliable narrator. <laughs> I'm going to wrap it. I'm making the executive decision to wrap this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) That has been our discussion on what DMs love and hate, what players love and hate. If you have anything that you want to contribute that, you can certainly do that at GamerPlus. What is it? Dot org? Yes. Dot org. I did it. Um, and, And talk about the things that you love and hate in either of those roles. And yeah, we had a great time and we thank Levi for hanging out. We thank Will for hanging out. Um, we don't thank the family members for hanging out. Um, <laughs> You're sick of me by now. <laughs> We're over them. Uh, but we love them all the same. And yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Why are we sides of the buys? Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. The buys. The buys. <laughs>You have been listening to the Related to Geeks podcast, recorded February 15th, 2021, on Monday night, 
Inspired Unreality Open Game Chat held at Tankers Tavern on Discord. For more about our geeky family, visit RelatedGeeks.com. For more information about Inspired Unreality, join Gamer Plus, a social network for gamers at GamerPlus.org. Megan, Carl, Sarah, Liz, Vivian, and Larry are joined by Levi Combs and Will Holtz to discuss what players love, what players hate, what DMs love, what DMs hate. The music for this show is Even Dozen by Harry Larry, recorded by Tyler Warsham, Hunter Durham, and Tyler Montgomery.